Welcome to episode 12 of the Security Matters podcast, where we bring you the latest news, views and opinion from across the UK's dedicated security business sector. My name's Brian Sims and I'm the editor of Security Matters magazine. We're once again delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the security event, which runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 27th, 28th and 29th of April 2021. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Focusing on the major news at the moment, cybersecurity experts have stepped up support for UK schools, colleges and universities following a spate of online attacks with the potential to derail their preparations for the new term. The National Cybersecurity Centre has issued an alerting message to the sector containing a number of steps designed to keep cybercriminals out of their networks following a recent spike in ransomware attacks. The National Centre itself dealt with several ransomware attacks carried out against educational establishments back in August, which caused varying degrees of disruption depending on the level of security establishments in place at the time. Such attacks typically involve the encryption of an organisation's data by cybercriminals, who then demand money in exchange for its recovery. Paul Chichester, Director of Operations at the National Cybersecurity Centre, has stated, This criminal targeting of the education sector, particularly at such a challenging time, is utterly reprehensible. While these have been isolated incidents, I would strongly urge all academic institutions to take heed of our alert and put in place the steps we suggest to help ensure young people are able to return to education undisrupted. We're absolutely committed to ensuring UK academia is as safe as possible from cyber threats and will not hesitate to act when that threat evolves. The new alert, which is entitled Targeted Ransomware Attacks on the UK Education Sector by Cybercriminals, supplements existing support that the NCSC, which itself is a part of GCHQ, provides for academic institutions across the UK. Examples of this include advice on the questions governing bodies and trustees should ask school leaders to improve a school's understanding of cybersecurity risks and the distribution of information cards which help staff understand how they can raise resilience to attack. Institutions infected with ransomware have seen their ability to operate effectively and deliver services significantly obstructed and depending on the level of resilience in place it can take weeks and in some cases months for services to return to normal. Often the aim of cyber criminals deploying ransomware is to encrypt data that will have the most impact on an organization's services. This can affect access to computer networks as well as services including telephone systems and websites. The National Cyber Security Centre has recently updated its ransomware and malware guidance which is generally applicable to organizations in all industries in the UK. Additions to this include updated information on attackers' modus operandi and also advice on preparing for an incident. Ransomware itself is a type of malware that prevents an individual from accessing their computer or the data stored upon it, or the data on it might be stolen, deleted or in some way encrypted. Approximately one-third of UK universities have been subjected to ransomware attacks. That's according to freedom of information requests submitted to 134 universities back in July. Of the 105 universities that responded, 35 admitted to being attacked, 25 said they hadn't been, Refusals typically centred around universities' concerns that admission of an attack would encourage further misdemeanours. Certain universities, including the University of Oxford, felt that their profiles made them more likely to be attacked. The University of Oxford noted, launching a successful attack would then be regarded in criminal circles as a noteworthy achievement, particularly so in view of Oxford's high public profile. Of all the 35 universities that admitted they were attacked, 34 confirmed they did not pay ransoms. The remaining university, namely Liverpool John Moores University, refused to reveal whether or not it had paid a ransom. Luke Budka, head of digital PR and SEO at Topline Comms, the agency that submitted the requests, said, We were naturally most interested in Russell Group Universities, as their research focus suggests they harbour the most valuable intellectual property. Of the 18 Russell Group Universities that responded, all but three refused to answer the questions submitted. The University of Manchester admitted it had been attacked, but said it didn't record when. The University of Sheffield was attacked back in 2015, while the University of Edinburgh stated it had not been attacked in the last 10 years. 
In the solutions development sector, the news has emerged that Synectics Mobile Systems and the Quadrant Security Group have now merged to form Synectics Security, which is being badged as one of the largest independent security integrators operating in the UK today. Combining the on-vehicle expertise of Synectics Mobile Systems and the Quadrant Security Group's experience in providing electronic security solutions for complex, critical and heavily regulated environments, Synectics Security works with best-of-breed technology partners to offer what's described as one of the most comprehensive product and service portfolios available. Based out of its Nottingham headquarters, the unified business will continue to serve customers in the UK and Ireland who operate in the public space, heritage, high security, banking and finance, critical infrastructure and transportation sectors. Ian Stringer, Managing Director of Synectic Security, has commented, pairing decades of experience of dealing with the complexities of on-vehicle systems integration, together with the expertise and specialist technical qualifications necessary for successful deployments of large-scale security and surveillance solutions, creates a powerful combined capability. That's not not just in terms of transportation, but there's a clear opportunity and alignment of skills. When asked about some of the new opportunities Synectic Security hopes to deliver for its customers, Stringer explained, We have an exciting development around on-vehicle camera monitoring to announce very soon that will have significant implications for both new installs and retrofit on-vehicle projects. We're also working hard to expand our offer in terms of cloud capabilities, analytics, intelligence software, and artificial intelligence integration. We know very well that these are key areas for customers in all the sectors we serve. In order to gain an even deeper understanding of end user needs, the security integrator is currently conducting an extensive customer insight consultation. In addition to steering technical development and also strategic partnerships, the information generator will be used to enhance and improve the customer experience. As part of the launch, Synectic Security has also referenced a number of new projects and customers on the horizon. While these cannot be named at the moment, they do include work for a major rail operator linked to COVID-19 requirements, a police force-centric solution, and also a large-scale military contract. Our first guest on episode 12 of the Security Matters podcast is Peter French, the Managing Director of SSR Personnel and Executive Profiles. SSR provides specialist recruitment and selection services to a majority of the top 500 UK and European companies and enjoys an enviable reputation in the supply of recruitment and staffing solutions. Peter founded the business back in 1986. In addition to his day job, he also holds a number of non-executive posts advising on human resources planning, motivation and psychometrics. A past master and trustee of the Worshipful Company of Security Professionals, Peter is an MBE, a certified protection professional and a fellow of the Security Institute. Along with the Security Benevolent Fund, Peter has undertaken to engage the security industry to look after its former employees who, through ill health and other circumstances, need assistance as their lives are disrupted through no fault of their own. Earlier this week, I interviewed Peter about the current state of the security recruitment market, the key concerns highlighted by professionals surveyed across the sector, and the potential effects of the economic downturn being predicted in financial circles. Peter, thank you very much for joining us on this week's podcast. What do you think recruitment trends will look like in general and more specifically for the security sector in the near future? We've undertaken a couple of surveys. We're working with a couple of clients because they want to understand as well. But I think a couple of things which are relevant straight away is that suddenly you've seen the security function morph into the crisis control. Frontline staff, installation of AI, enable cameras, heat, heat um, mapping, people to understand that. So you've got the installers coming in, you've got AI control, which is actually now jumped from where it was in 2018 to being something which would be, if you say, certainly frontline in 2020. So we've got all of these aspects from the security world coming together. There are challenges, but 
most of those are around the thousands of people that we've got home working. And that's not to be underestimated. You know, people need some sort of comfort. Usually when you're in the office, you've got the bubble around the office. At the moment, certainly in London, we don't have that. But if I, um, if I look about the world pausing and then look around the world in, let's say, Asia, because I, I get all that insight from our Dubai office, you know, they're seeing growth already and people committing to projects in 2021. And that's... Some of those have been postponed, uh, but many of them are, are new projects and people bringing forward. Um, and that's certainly around India. So we've, uh, we're, we're, we're hearing, obviously, everything that's going on with the pandemic. But actually what we're seeing is there's a high requirement to bring in now uh, technology to help transform the economies and help companies. So that we're doing. In Europe and the USA, we're probably in a similar sort of vein in the sense that lockdowns in some places and we haven't got lockdowns i mean you would have seen the figures recently with sweden probably being something we're going to try and study why so low deaths what what was the differences between you know that italy spain spain that now you know mega um, numbers of people 15,000 a day i think was the recent figures actually contracting it but the other side of it is we're not getting people dying so that actually starts to change the uncertainty to certainty for some businesses. But I think you will actually see a shrinking of workforces, regardless of whatever that, wherever you are, that may come around in higher unemployment figures. Is that going to affect the security world? I would have thought so. But, um, but you know, incorporation in London, as, as a, for instance, against even just the UK, you know, in the incorporation of, uh, of security in tall buildings, you know, I was surprised to know that we got 2,800 tall buildings in London alone. In Frankfurt and Paris, there's 1,000. And just for a little bit of, um, give you a, a bit of a, a benchmark, Hong Kong, there are 1,000, oh, sorry, there are 155,001 tall buildings in Hong Kong alone. So, you know, we've got to do some of that real estate. It doesn't matter if it goes residential or whether or not it stays in commercial, but something has to be done. And security will will be there. It will have a role to play in in all of that. And how has SSR personnel traded during the pandemic, Peter? Can I just tell you some of the places we've been? It's probably easier. I mean, uh, just in our home market, our group has put on uh, twenty thousand extra people during this pandemic. So we are a multifaceted environment in some of these areas, and that's been good for the business. Us and where we've been. Still busy in London. We have worked from Brisbane to Perth. I've been in Moscow. Uh, we did a major piece of work there. We landed back and then we been, went into London again. We've been in Montreal. We've been back to Paris. We've got ongoing roles in the Iberian Peninsula. London in high tech. Uh, Montreal. We've been in Switzerland. And our tech contractors, these are daily contractors, are one, one third through a 1,000 day project. So busy. We've remained busy. But then, you know, maybe that's more because of, you know, people know us, they trust us and know that we can deliver areas. It's also important to say that Dubai is now opening up across the whole of the Middle East. So we're helping them as well. And and I'm back in Hong Kong with a role that's currently running and will be in Singapore and Shanghai in the next sort of three to four weeks with a couple of major pieces of work for international companies, so global companies. But, you know, it's something where businesses out there is probably slightly in a different format but businesses out there at the moment and and we have actually fortunately done well during this lockdown 
In the latest editions of the SSR Personnel and ACES International Salary Surveys, Peter, what are the key concerns being shown by those responding to the questions that have been posed? Well, obviously, we, we caught something on the cusp, you know, pre-March and then after March. Um, interesting that pre-March people uh, people talked about Brexit in Europe. I mean, actually, a lot of Europeans saying that they felt that some of their opportunities would be restricted, certainly in the UK, that was a feeling. Now, as we're going out to people, um, we're hearing of things being restructured. But if you're in investigations, you're in cyber, you're in a world which is actually growing. So uh, what they're telling us is that, you know, they're upskilling, which is really important. You know, people are beginning to upskill. They're uh, looking at how they can qualify themselves. You'd be surprised how many things you can do out there, Brian, with no qualification whatsoever. And people say they're an expert. But that things like pandemics or crises like this, it will mean that people will actually look at individuals a little bit closer and want to understand, well, what makes you that expert? And, and actually... You know, training, development, personal development, it gives you a different attitude and aspect when you're talking to senior leadership. You know, not only just the, yes, of course I can do that, but more importantly, I think, is about how you do it. It's a strategic aim. You know, rather than saying, well, give me the idea, I'll go away with it. You say, well, give me the problem and I'll get the idea and I'll come back to you straight away. So that's really important. So through the surveys, we look at what, what is hot, there's a country specifics we have. Um, some of our eastern um, countries are sort of, again, still paused at the moment, but many of them are dealing with fraud, so which is actually still a growing problem and not that, nothing that's going away in the short, short to medium term at all. Having experienced several recessions during your career in the sector, Peter, what do you consider to be the effect of the current predicted financial downturn on European security professionals? I think this is not as dramatic as 2008. We do not have that number of lost jobs at the moment. I think uh, that's also been a concerted effort, people learning from 2008, 2009, that if you actually just tip a whole lot of people out of work, it's going to take ages, ages to actually um, you know, get people back in. We've got a government, UK government, that's talking about not doing, trying to sort of punish the world by putting in lockdowns or not just lockdowns but actually you know being monetary controls they're looking to expand through growth or fix everything through growth which i think is really important as far as the security professionals concerned i was really interested in the cfas report that recently came out that said in 2019 there were a thousand fraud cases every single day just in the uk and most of that facilitated by online fraud so if we if you just you know do that across Europe with 400 million people and we've got 60 million or 62 million people in the UK how many cases of fraud are going on and so that's the big challenge which wasn't there previously it wasn't there in 2010 we weren't dealing with lots and lots and lots of fraud cases you know the the criminality is more agile and therefore we as a business you know these security professionals they've got to be agile um, the cyber growth, as I said recently, it's going to be exponential, you know, from our point of view. In 2023, we're going to add another $10 billion on services just in the next couple of years. So security professionals emerge in an environment where they've got lots and lots of different areas that they can go to. Um, and, and the good thing about pandemics, and it's different from the financial crash, is I think they emerge from this with strategy, they emerge with some foresight. They are trusted. And, and that goes across service providers, who I always see as knowledge providers, and, of course, in-house teams. So the strat- 
strategy of a pandemic is sharing information. And I've seen through SIS International and ISMA, the International Security Management Association, both of them, that's what their membership have taken. They've been informed, this is a good idea, what are we seeing, how does that work out? But underlining area in all of that that we've seen has been people targeted because they've been working from home in that sort of online fraud environment. To your great credit, Peter, you and John Pennell worked diligently to establish the excellent Security Benevolent Fund that's run by the Advisable Company of Security Professionals Charitable Trust. In what ways is that fund helping in the current pandemic, do you think? Always challenges. You know, somebody once said to me, well, if you sit there doling out money, of course, you know, everyone's going to sort of think this is fantastic. And that's not what we can do. We don't we don't have the unlimited facilities. And I'm not sure that's what the Security Benevolent Fund should be doing. What we should be doing is, is interceding wherever possible. We should be talking with people. Uh, we can give help. Uh, we can deploy assets. And some of that's physical. Some of that is monetary. And it's about trying to help the people. I mean, I never forget the one story which I always take around is that the the security officer who was standing in front of the mirror tying up his tie, he's got four kids, he's going to go out and do his 12-hour shift and just drops down dead. No history, no nothing. But actually what the tragedy was, we found out because his wife was trying to borrow money on, the, um, on Wonga or one of the money day um, providers so that she could bury it. That's where we can make a difference, you know. That's you know that how tragic would that be to to borrow three thousand six hundred pounds and probably have to pay twelve thousand pounds back just to bury somebody that you love and you got four kids. So you know they are the sorts of things that I I always say to our trustees. You know that they're the things that we want to really help out and they do very well. You know they 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 reach across lots of different areas and also in education you know we need to help people even you know to get better education they get better jobs you know and we can help through our experience so it's been what do we establish about 2007 so you know it's been a fair few years that we've developed uh, processes but actually through the virtual company, security professionals, we've established links into many, many, many different uh, charities. And they now see that if they've got somebody who's got a problem, they've been in the security profession, they can send them to us and we will try and help. And we have done that, I can, you know, loads of cases, lots of cases. So uh, something which I'm really, really proud of and implore people wherever possible, please try and support us. Returning to the news now and the co-op, the largest consumer cooperative in the UK and one of the largest retailers in the country, is rolling out an integrated body-worn video solution to frontline colleagues with a focus on further increasing safety in store against a background of rising retail crime in the industry. The co-op itself has seen in-store crime increase by more than 140% year on year, despite communities recognising the critical role played by retail workers in society. They are indeed true frontline workers in the days of a global pandemic. The number of violent incidents has also hit record levels, with 1,350 attacks having been experienced by co-op shop workers in the first six months of 2020 alone. The retailer warns of a crime and violence epidemic, and its targeted deployment of a body-worn video solution forms part of an ongoing commitment to invest a further £70 million over the next three years on bespoke innovative technology in order to keep colleagues safe. 
At present, the co-op is equipping frontline staff with more than 1,000 Motorola Solutions VT100 body-worn cameras in around 250 stores. With the ability to stream video in real time to the security operations centre run by the co-op security partner, Mighty. The footage is used to identify criminals and provide evidence in a bid to secure prosecutions. The VT100 cameras can be worn in standby mode for up to six months, thereby preserving the battery for those instances when co-op store colleagues feel threatened by aggressive or violent behaviour. The cameras are operated by a simple one-push activation, instantly recording footage to the camera itself and streaming live video to the Security Operations Centre, thereby allowing for a quick response from security personnel or indeed the police. The cameras are supported by cloud-hosted video manager software, which enables secure and efficient camera allocation, user administration and instant management. With security features such as comprehensive audit trails, encryption, configurable retention policies and RFID camera allocation, this integrated solution ensures that incidents are dealt with both efficiently and securely. Securely. As part of its own Safer Colleagues, Safer Communities campaign, the co-op is also building awareness and support for the Assault on Shop Workers Bill driven by MP Alex Norris, the second reading of which is now due in Parliament. The bill states that, because shop workers have responsibilities to uphold the law on age-restricted products, they should be afforded greater protection in carrying out those public duties. In its 2020 crime report, the Association of Convenience Stores found that a quarter of violent incidents resulted in injury, with a weapon employed in almost 20% of all cases. A knife was the most commonly used weapon, with axes, hammers and syringes also used to attack or threaten shop workers. In 2019, the co-op funded its own research into retail crime, with the hard-hitting findings reporting that shop workers were showing signs of post-traumatic stress disorder. As mentioned, the co-op has committed a further £70 million over the next three years to innovative technology designed to keep colleagues safer, introducing smart water fogging systems, the latest remotely monitored CCTV, body-worn cameras and communication headsets for all frontline colleagues. Cheryl Houghton, the co-op's retail security manager, informed Security Matters, shop workers play an essential role serving our communities, yet they have to contend with unprecedented levels of violence and abuse on a daily basis. As a community retailer, we see the impact of social issues in our stores. I've never witnessed such high levels of violence and abuse. It's a societal issue that all retailers are concerned about, and it's having lasting effects on the lives of shop workers, both mentally and physically. There's no doubt that body-worn video is becoming a critical element in commercial organisations' strategy to keep their employees safe. When talk turns towards mission-critical solutions, if end-users can be provided with the right tools to help them enhance their operational efficiency, responsiveness and safety, then that's the ideal scenario. The Smartwater Group, one of the UK's fastest-growing risk management companies, has launched its intelligence portal in Shropshire to help track organised criminal gangs as they move across the UK in their bid to steal valuable assets from infrastructure and construction sites. Costing over £2 million to establish, the Centre for Infrastructure and Asset Protection benefits from unique access to privileged closed-sourced data provided by both the police service and its clients, enabling highly trained analysts to track the movement of the gangs across the UK. The benefit for clients, among them the Solar Trade Association, the Survey Association and the Ecclesiastical Insurance Group, is that as the criminal gang travels into a new region, Centre for Infrastructure and Asset Protection analysts send early warning security alerts to enable the rapid deployment of target-hardening measures designed to protect key assets. According to the National Crime Agency, serious and organised crime, which includes attacks on infrastructure sites, now affects the UK more than any other national security threat. It's estimated to cost the UK's economy at least £37 billion per annum with that figure increasing year on year. 
Smartwater's Centre for Infrastructure and Asset Protection has already assisted the police in securing the conviction of hundreds of criminals for serious offences against critical national infrastructure. One case involved the tracking of a criminal gang across the Midlands region as the constituent members stole hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of solar panels. Working in partnership with the police, a trap was set using a combination of smart water forensics and mobile CCTV, resulting in the arrest and conviction of the gang for acts of theft. Gary Higgins, Smartwater Technologies Chief Operating Officer and also Head of the Centre for Infrastructure and Asset Protection, has said, With its privileged access to closed-source data, the Centre for Infrastructure and Asset Protection offers a key service for its many clients, further enhancing the Smartwater Group's reputation as an innovator in the realms of risk management. Our second guest on this edition of the Security Matters podcast is Martin Ryder, Vice President of Sales and Marketing at Morphian, the specialist high-tech developer of video monitoring and surveillance platforms. Martin is both a driven and highly motivated commercial sales and product-focused executive with international experience of the European and North American markets. Specifically, he harbours a keen interest in using technology to solve customer challenges and enhance their user experience. Able to inspire teams to achieve goals and develop as individuals, Martin is comfortable communicating to all levels of business leadership and interacting with all business departments to help them achieve their strategic goals. During our interview, Martin addresses a number of core issues, including the benefits of video surveillance as a service and how cloud-enabled physical security will evolve through time. Martin, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast this week. The cloud has brought many benefits to businesses during the COVID-19 pandemic, enabling them to keep the lights on and stay afloat. The IT industry itself has been championing cloud infrastructure for some time now, but how do you feel cloud is revolutionising the physical security industry? Yeah, I think it's posed a big big opportunity for cloud providers uh, like ourselves. We see the pandemic has, has put many challenges on security integrators, so obviously not being able to attend site, but also very quickly customers having to work from home and finding new means of managing physical security on their locations, whether they are live or not. So, you know, a lot of office environments have shut down, but, you know, manufacturing, they're trying to work um, as well. And basically, the the cloud has enabled people to deploy quickly, get access, remote access very simply, uh, compared to a lot of the traditional security solutions that, that are out there. And could you outline the benefits of video surveillance as a service and also access control as a service for businesses, as well as vendors and installers? Yeah, so from a from an installer perspective, uh, really what we what we're driving to installers is we we're able to provide a centralised platform. So traditionally, they would have you know installed local units, lots of disparaged units, where we're giving them an opportunity to take advantage of the platform we give. So we take away a lot of those installation challenges that integrators have. You know, the IT guys being around, having servers, PCs. NVRs available um, and those kind of things and having these all linked back to a central central source and really from a technical point of view now the integrators can manage their whole customer base from one central portal using cloud platforms like ourselves so they don't need to worry about software updates, cybersecurity, all these kind of things. We take care of that for them as part of the subscription model that we give. So it brings a new opportunity to integrators. It's less about maintaining systems. It's more about creating value from those connected systems um, as well. And similarly around the business model, especially um, during a pandemic like COVID, uh, you know, for us as a business, we run a full subscription business. So 
probably 90% of our revenue is, is recurring revenue. And what that allows us to do is have a constant revenue stream. So we're not necessarily relying on a new project to land this month or those kind of things as well. We have a you know significant base with a recurring revenue. And we we pretty much can guarantee a certain level of revenue every month. And we see for a lot of integrators now, I guess they've always they've always looked at the recurring revenue model. And it's it can be a challenge to get there. But I think what the the pandemic has shown is, is actually the benefit of recurring revenue models that you can still have revenue coming in the door even when you're not installing brand new projects um, and those kind of things. And it keeps the cash flow going and those kind of, and that's very much for sort of video and access control as a service. But for providers like ourselves, we're providing a in more of a service platform that integrators can then add value to, as, as I say, not not necessarily maintaining a firmware or those kind of things. We take control of that. It's how can they add their specialism to connected things. So whether that's uh, you know an intercom, they replace you know guard on site, or whether it's simply connecting to an arc to do video monitoring or out of hours detection and those kind of things in a simplistic way as well is significant for the integrators. But similarly, obviously moving to a to an end customer, again, they take a similar benefit from that. So again, it's it's less now about uh, capex and more around opex as well. And obviously this pandemic has created a lot of challenges for businesses around cash flow and um, having to change their security requirements because people are working remotely, working differently, working maybe more hours a day and their security requirements are changing but necessarily may not have the capex budget to do that and that's where cloud providers like ourselves really come into the form there with this opex recurring revenue model that i can spread my cost over a period of time but also you know from a technical side these things are connected they're secured in the same way of internet banking so as an end customer, I can offset my some of my risk back to the integrator to take responsibility that the cameras are cyber secure, the door controls are cyber secure, I get the latest updates, firmwares, and I've got access to the latest products as well. And during the pandemic, video surveillance as a service and access control as a service have realised many applications beyond perimeter protection and controlling entrances and exit points, Martin. Could you explain how these solutions have positively impacted key industries such as retail and transport, for example? Yeah, so again, one of the solutions we launched um, early on into the pandemic was our was our occupancy counting. So again, you know, all of a sudden people need to be aware of, you know, how many people are using that building, uh, what's my safe level of people inside that. And, and really what the cloud's been allowed people to do is deploy that quickly. Um, you know, I haven't had to invest in servers and PCs on site and those kind of things as well. But also, as we've seen through the pandemic, is the requirements are changing or can change from day to day or or week to week as well. So having a a connected system that can be updated easily. So all of a sudden, if my occupancy is 50 people and there's some local lockdown rules change and those kind of things, my occupancy can now only be 30. You know, with connected systems like ourselves, you can, you can, you know, make that change very, very quickly. And similarly on the access control side, you know, I think, there's still a big market out there for for pin pads and those kind of things as well. But obviously, you know, limiting touch points of people in a, in a pandemic has been key. So, you know, looking at new technologies around, you know, opening of doors, but also, you know, how I can use contactless readers and those kind of things to avoid infection spread. But also looking at an access control system and how that could help me 
actually manage occupancy as well. So looking at, you know, if I've got 25 people in the building and my occupancy is only 30, you know, how can access control not be just about keeping the building safe? How can it add some operational value, um, some business intelligence around that same data of of people swiping in and out um, to understand better how those offices are used um, and, and those kind of things as well? And how do you see cloud-enabled physical security and its related management platforms evolving in the future, Martin? For example, what developments might we expect to see in five or even ten years' time? Yeah, I think the, the way a lot of cloud providers like ourselves are going is is really for this physical security solutions now to be to be more than just a security solution now is is to become a business tool and how these systems can interact, you know, with other key colour beasts other business systems. So, you know, things things like, you know, in a retail shop, having a camera just looking at a point of sale to go back and look at the footage if someone used a fraudulent credit card. You know, how can we make these intelligent now and interact? So I may monitor cues in that. I may do links into fraud detection systems that I can access you know, video surveillance from a fraud detection system um, and those kind of things as well. And really what the cloud allows a lot of companies to do is simple, uh, it's a more simple way to integrate the systems into their current business systems that they're not just there for security purposes. Now they can actually be adding value back to a business like, you know, like I say, with like queue monitoring, fraudulent transactions. But, you know, if I start to understand my queues in a shop, from that same camera that's there for security, you know, I'm getting a lot more value from that. And, and in a way, the the business value that camera can create can actually be a lot, a lot of the time more significant than just the purpose um, it was gotten there. So if I you know understand when there's a queue, how can I interact with other physical security systems like uh, speakers, notifications, and those kind of things? But then also the data perspective as well of if I can start to understand the trends of when I have queues, how can I then affect that with staff planning, rostering, and really give you know the customers a good customer experience, make sure I retain my customers and make sure they're not going elsewhere because they're having to queue too long in my shop. Um, Similar transport as well. Again, from, from a pandemic point of view, the They've been looking at occupancy and how I manage the you know occupancy within a train, but that same data now can be taken on to understand you know when's the busy time on a train you know pushing these into social channels as well, encouraging customers to to use trains at less busy times um, to optimize the network and bus networks and those kind of things as well. So a lot of the data that potentially we can be serving up is how we can combine that with other data sources, but also push that into other mediums that can be consumed to to have a better business impact uh, for people as well. That brings us to the end of this latest edition of the Security Matters podcast. Many thanks indeed to Peter French of SSR Personnel and Executive Profiles and also Martin Ryder from Morphian for their highly valued contributions. Many thanks also to our podcast sponsors, The Security Event. The Security Event runs at the NEC in Birmingham on the 27th, 28th and 29th of April 2021. To register for the show, visit www.thesecurityevent.co.uk. Don't forget to visit our website at www.fsmatters.com forward slash security. 
security-matters, where you can view our podcasts and read the latest news and opinion from the security business sector. You can also access our dedicated features content and sign up to receive our popular weekly news bulletins. Please do contact us if there are any key themes or issues you would like us to explore on upcoming broadcasts. You can do so on Twitter by using the hashtag SecurityPod. On that note, do make sure you follow us on Twitter at WBMSecMatters. As a reminder, the Security Matters podcast is live to view every fortnight on Wednesdays. Please do like and share the content and spread the word among your industry colleagues. You can listen to the Security Matters podcast for free on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube or Podbean. To download the podcast on iTunes or Spotify, all you need to do is enter the term Security Matters into your chosen platform search box. We'll see you next time.